0: We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build-remodeling company, Black Dog Builders, in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire.
1: We're sitting down with industry professionals to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success.
0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Renovation Made Right. (laughs) <laughs> that is my lovely wife. My name is David Bryan. I
1: am Brenda Bryan.
0: And we are really glad you're with us. Thank you very much. And and uh, thank you for all those folks who have been downloading our show. And if you enjoy this and you're getting some value from it, we appreciate the likes and the follows and, and let your friends know about us. So. Yeah. Definitely let your friends know. Yeah. And so our our goal here is generally to make sure that that we help people, listeners, you guys, have positive modeling experiences. And mostly just to hear ourselves talk. Yeah. My... Or Dave, and anyway. I should say. No, 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 no. Someone. Now, let's be nice. We know it's true. I know that's a stretch for you, but let's be mm. nice, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so today's episode is a little bit, it's not, it certainly will be helpful to be interesting, but I think, Brenda, you were inspired by a recent outing that you had.
1: Well, it wasn't so much an outing, but it was more an inning, which is what we seem to do in the, in the days of COVID, is that these programs get put out as a, as a webinar instead. of? So anyway, a friend of mine who is a, a librarian in the local library sent me a link to a webinar that was being put on called "America's: The History of America's Kitchens. And it was it was one of the co-authors of this book called America's Kitchens. And Nancy Carlisle and Melinda Talbot Nasardinov wrote a book about the history of kitchens in America. And it covers you know the South. It covers the West. It covers you know all, all sections of America. And basically from Pilgrims on to basically after World War II and the, what we consider the modern kitchen so i said that sounds really cool there's stuff that i don't know i'm I'm dealing with modern kitchens all the time but i don't really know a lot of the history so i tuned in i bought the book which i'm sure was the goal so, <laughs> but of course i don't even think it's in print anymore i got it on i got it on amazon as a used book so i don't i don't even know if it's in print anyway really cool book very cool history so i went through and i made a bunch of notes and i'm going to share those with you today and we're going to be doing it over two episodes because you know, there's just so much. There's just so much. The book is really cool. I have to highly recommend it if you can get a copy. The pictures are great. It's super interesting, and it's the, the history of kitchens. And the point that they make in this book is they also the history of women. There's a lot of stuff that's not ever been written about women, but recipes that get handed down from from generation to generation are one of the ways that we look at the history of how women operated in this country, and one of the quotes they said in the book was, where women's history lives, that was their domain. And knowing what went on in the kitchen is the closest many of us will ever come to knowing our grandmothers' grandmothers, which is really fascinating. Oh. You know, you think about your family's history. Not much of it is written down in terms of what the women do. The men were out doing, you know, like, quote, unquote, important stuff. But the women were in the kitchen. And, uh, and those things are really important, too. So, so, anyway, so let me talk- just
0: stop it so I, I get it i agree with it I'm, I'm surprised you're sort of not addressing that all by sort of like the, the like there could be you know is that is that crossing the like a line where that's sort of now kind of not offensive isn't the right word but sort of saying hey you know the women's place is not like is no it too- the
1: women's place is definitely not in the kitchen but the truth is that nobody was writing about what women were doing then. okay at all okay right they didn't okay. have a voice most of their role was in feeding their children and feeding Just their husband dutifully and dutifully doing the work, right? Yep. And okay. nobody was recognizing them, with very few exceptions. I mean you've seen that quote was like well behaved women never make history never made history. Right. And to a certain extent that was true. The only women that got written about were either ones who were completely radical or out of control right. or, you know, burned as witches right. or, you know
0: <laughs> And they weren't in the kitchen.
1: Right. But the women who were actually doing the work, the day to day work were pretty much taking care of their family and they were pretty much in the kitchen. Okay. So, you know, it's sad to say that women's history is really about the history of the kitchen, but that is the fact of the matter.
0: So. Well, oh, it's also maybe just a place in time where we are evolving as a society. So I'm not, is it is it sad or is it just an, a point where we were evolving, right? Yeah. You know, so I don't know that it, we need to impart a value to it.
1: I wasn't, you okay. did. You said. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. you just said sad to say. Well, it, yeah. OK, semantics. All right, let's not get stuck in this. Anyway, but, it, but the kitchen always has been the heart of the home. It's still the heart of the home. It's where people go to hang out, to feel warm, to feel comfortable. And that's primarily how that's been for Time immemorial. And it, in the beginning, when you think about like, you know, I'm talking centuries, they were also multi-use rooms. For one thing, especially in the fall, winter and spring, it was the warmest place in the house. So people were there all the time. It doesn't didn't it, Women, men, children, it didn't matter. It was used as a space for repairing tools, candle and soap making, going to school. You know, people would sleep in the kitchen because it was the only warm place. And then especially when you talk about very small homes or pioneer homes where you had one room, everything was done essentially in the kitchen. So it was really a multi-use space. And we're going to talk about how that changed um, over time, but really for, for centuries and centuries, this is this is what it was. And then in some places, you know, wealthier people or plantations where you either had servants or you had slaves, had separate kitchens and even sometimes separate buildings for those spaces. But I'm going to be talking primarily about, you know, just your average people, right? Not really wealthy people where you're having a whole separate space, but just how, you know, middle class or working class Americans had their had their homes. So early kitchen, so before 1840, what you had was an open hearth. And in that open hearth, you would have a lot of ironware, pots, fry pans, a spit for turning meat, many different kinds of sized fires going at one time. So you had like these really giant, big, open haars and many separate fires in there. And those separate fires would be tended at different heats. You know, some would be on a slow burn, like just the, the coals are there. Some would be a very high heat because you're searing something. And and so those haars, and you think about like these really old style haars in, in really old homes that we go into, they're pretty large, right? Yep. So it wouldn't want to be one huge fire in the middle. They'd actually have like little separate piles Doing different things, yeah. which is like if you think about a burner and a stove, right? You have one at simmer, you have one on high, you have right. If you're cooking a meal, right. it's the exact same thing. It was just spread out on the floor of the hearth.
0: Yeah, but, and that's the, even that by itself is a ton of work. Just trying to maintain multiple fires at different intensities.
1: Absolutely, right?
0: absolutely. And the art.
1: Yeah, and if you think about too, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about about stoves and how they use less less fire. But in the very early America, there was a lot of wood available and so people heated and cooked all using wood not so much coal that came later but and it always amazes me like or because we live in New England and we go on hikes all the time and you walk through the woods and there's stone walls everywhere right these used to be fields and the stone walls would demark you know one person's property next to the other and they're in the middle of the woods now well those woods are all gone because people were cutting down wood all the time to use for fire, so think about how much wood your average family went through in a course of a year.
0: In fact, I was actually at a paper that was given by a gentleman who was a historian, and he talked about that very thing. He talked about the fact that when this country was first being established by British colonists, that you know, in in England, they had pretty well clear cut and turned into agriculture almost all of England. Mm-hmm. Like there were not there's not much in the way of forests. The forests were very you know like sort of condensed in areas, mm-hmm. right? And and so they sort of wanted to remake America in the image of England. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, oh, we're gonna have all these rolling, you know, pastures. Open and, hills and and, and yeah. so they, they put the walls up and they, they cut down. All the trees. Massive amounts of old growth timber, mm-hmm. right? And they also, in that same paper, this gentleman shed, said the average family burned 30 to 35 cords of firewood in the course of a year. That's insane. One family. One family. We, of
1: we get like one cord every two years right? for our fireplace. Right. Think about that. Right. That's a crazy amount of wood. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is this is how people ran their kitchen. And so in addition to that, they would have a bake oven someplace. And it's typically it was built outdoors and it may be under a roof and the bake oven would only get used maybe once or twice a week, depending on on how, how many people they had in their house and how, how much bread they had to, to make. And that was a laborious process, right? They they'd maybe cook, all their do all their baking on Saturday because Sunday they wanted to be able to rest and the, and it would have to make it for the rest of the week. So if you do your baking on Saturday, what they had to do is build this great big fire inside these bake ovens, right? Either, either mortar or stone bake ovens or brick and mortar or stone. And they built these great big fires and let them burn up so that the whole oven was hot. We have a pizza oven. Yep. You know, we have a wood-fired pizza oven. And it's the same process, basically. These are just bigger ovens. Great. And you build up this great big hot fire until the whole oven becomes hot with radiant heat. And then when it breaks down to basically, you know, embers and coals, you push it out of the way and then you bake. And you do different baking at different times, like stuff that needed a high heat you did in the beginning of the bake. And then as you got to like stuff that needed a lower temperature, you'd save that for the end and you would bake all day long. Right. Right. So it's, you know, again, it was a laborious practice. And then the rest of the week, you'd mostly be doing like a lot of one pot stuff like stews and that kind of stuff. And just easy as easy as possible. One of the interesting inventions, and I say invention kind of loosely because it had been around for centuries, was a Dutch oven. Not like the kind when you like fart and you put your spouse's head on <laughs> the covers. I have
0: no idea what you're talking that's about. That's a
1: totally different kind of Dutch oven. We're not going to talk about Keep that. Keep it clean, pal. Right? <laughs> exactly. But a Dutch oven is it's like a family show. A, a either a cast iron or an earthenware pot, very thick walled with a tight fitting lid. And a Dutch oven was supposed to like, you know, you put it, you put it over some embers and it would slow cook there all day long. So it's the exact same thing as a crock pot is today, yeah, right? Yeah, we yeah. plug the crock pot in now and it's a slow burn. So people would use these all the time and make these one pot kind of meals. And that was a pretty typical way to cook in a kitchen. The one, so I say these Dutch ovens were around for centuries and, you know, like the name implied, I think they were, they originated in Holland, but, The Americans did a little twist on it, and they added feet to it so it wouldn't have to sit right in the coals. It would sit above the coals. So, you know, Americans are always tweaking Always innovating. Always innovating, which is really interesting. Another thing that a great invention of the early 18th century or 1700s was a tin roaster. And I thought this was like a fascinating thing. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but essentially it was like like a box on a stick. Kind of, kind of. It's like a, a semicircular. It's like if you if you basically took a barrel and cut it in half it was metal and had the open side toward the fire and you put the meat in a spit in the middle of the other half. Oh. And so as the heat came out of the fireplace, it would it would basically reflect off the back of the metal mm-hmm. yep. and 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 cook the food faster. As opposed to having it right over the fire where, you know, it could flame up, like if grease is dripping down or get smoky, smoky, right. And so it would sit right in front of the fire, but not in the fire. The heat would bounce off the back of this thing. And it also had like a little door on the back so you could open it and baste, which was really interesting. You didn't have to turn the whole thing around. It just had this little door, which I thought was really fascinating. I'd never heard of a tin roaster before, but but they were pretty typical in, in like the 1700s. So... I want to talk a little bit about, we're going to, we're going to talk about more kinds of, of things in that kitchen, but one of the things that I really found fascinating, and I heard this years and years ago, I went to an architecture talk once and we were talking about kitchens and the etymology of, of different words in the English language specific to the kitchen is really fascinating. So the word board, what does board mean to you? <laughs> Other than B-O-R-E-D. I'm talking about B-O-A-R-D.
0: I'm not particularly engaged.
1: No, yeah. B-O-A-R-D. Not not B-O-R-E-D. Oh, so the
0: only board that I you
1: know a plank,
0: like a wooden plank.
1: A plank, right. So board shows up a lot in kitchens. So a board in a kitchen was your table, right? Okay. They would just be like the board so if in other words you talk about somebody boarded with me or the room and board it means the room is where you sleep and the board is that you eat there oh so if you like you go away to school you get room and board they're providing both (laughs) okay they're two separate things so i always found that interesting so like in a kitchen they also had cupboards cup or boards boards right exactly all it was is like a very rudimentary place to put your dishes It was just a board but it it evolved into something that was more like a cabinet and a cabinet is like a french version of the same word so also on as far as the board if the board is your table in these old homes furniture was very expensive right sure you know you had you had to get it from somebody who knew what they were doing or you had to make it yourself it was, it was laborious on top of everything else you have to do to keep yourself alive. And so typically in a home and you'd have lots of kids, all the kids would sit at a bench on either side of the board. The most important person in the house, the head of the household, would sit in a chair. Maybe it's the only chair you have. Maybe you have two chairs for the husband and wife. But anyway, whoever was at the head of the table was the chair man of the board.
0: No kidding. Yeah. Isn't that I cool? love that. I know. That's a great tie-in. So
1: this is how you get chairman of the board. So a board also stands for, you know, if you have a group of people that meet to talk about policy about something, they're meeting around a board. They're they're no. meeting at a table. I love this. This is great. Right. So That's super interesting. interesting. The other things those are linked into are okay. So say you're playing cards and you're doing you're doing you know, you're you're playing honestly and your hands and never dip below the table. You're playing Above board,
0: keeping your cards above the table. So if you
1: say you're above board, it means you're honest, right? So, but if you're doing things dishonestly, you're doing them under the table. Interesting. Interesting. So so think about all these things that have to do with the kitchen, and I just love the etymology of that. I wonder what's underboard. Well, that's an excellent question, but I think it had to do with like. I, and I and I think I asked this question to myself and I don't remember the exact answer, but I think under the table is is a translation of like a German term. Okay. Which basically means the same thing. Okay. Right? Yep, yep, you know, yep. it's like you're cheating at something, you're doing it, you're doing it under the table. So it's it's a, in that case it's a different etymology. Or you underhanded. You're, underhanded, right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. All right. This is I'm learning. Man, I'm loving this. See? Okay. So next thing we're gonna talk about. So Again, all the cooking happened in the hearth. It was a multi-use room. Everybody gathered there. It was the warm place in the house. It's where people wanted to be all the time. So then, so, and, and here's the thing, right? Like you think about cooking at a hearth. It sounds really uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're stooping all the time Mm -hmm. to make your food. Sure. You may have a table to do a lot of the prep work, but the rest of the time you're you're stooping into the heart to do it. And it's, you know, you lose a lot of the heat out of your, your room, like especially if it is winter, maybe it's the only warm room in the house, but most of the heat is going up the chimney. Right. Right. So the next thing that people started using for cooking was stoves, cook stoves. Yep. Now, they were first manufactured, and this is really interesting too, their first first manufactured cast iron stoves were produced in Lynn, Massachusetts, right around the corner from us, in 1642. Whoa! 1642. By the way, nobody was using these things before sometime in the the mid-1850s as cooking surfaces, but they were used, they were heating stoves. That was the whole point. And so they, they weren't used a lot, and I don't know if the manufacturing just wasn't a big thing at that point, but it was really meant as a heating stove because, and Ben Franklin tinkered around with it, came with his own version sure, called sure. the Franklin stove or the pot-bellied stove, because with a chimney, most of the heat goes up the chimney, it doesn't actually end up in the room. Right, right. With a stove that sits out in the room, all the heat radiates out and you have a flue that's attached to your chimney. Right. So, So it first caught on as a heating device, but but many of the pot-bellied stoves had a flat top to them and maybe one burner. And you could keep your water hot. You could boil things on it. You can make a one pot. If your fire was going hot enough, you could actually fry stuff on it. And so it started being used as a cooking surface. And then people thought, well, I only have one hole on top of this little pot-bellied stove. I'll make a bigger stove and have multiple hobs that I can cook on. And isn't that a brilliant idea? And it was. So here's some of the, like... The advantages of cooking with a stove as opposed to cooking at a hearth. It used a lot less fuel because the wood burned more efficiently. Absolutely makes total sense. So this was especially helpful when you started talking about you know yeah at one time wood was plentiful but as you know very shortly people were cutting down if you need 35 cords in a winter it's not very long before the wood starts starts disappearing. You could also use coal in a stove that you couldn't in a hearth necessarily. So it used a ton less fuel, and it got hot fatter faster, stayed hot longer, and you could stand right, and great, cook, great. right? So women, in particular, were like, yeah, this is kind of awesome, right. right? This is so much better than standing in front of a hearth. Men, on the other hand, missed the ambiance of cooking over a hearth. Yes, this is true. <laughs> so... So I have I have a a quote here. Nathaniel Hawthorne, who very famously wrote The Scarlet Letter, said said about the about the let me see. Okay, about the, the stove, he said that the hearth, there will be nothing to attract children to one center. Domestic life will seek its separate corners, unquote.
0: So with with the advent of the of stove, the stove right. as opposed to the open earth.
1: Exactly. Because right. he fairly, really as it we know, was it's like super homey. Okay. Right? But he's not the guy who had cook on it. Right, exactly. Right? So kind of a dickish move. Right. right. <laughs> and <laughs> but can you imagine if he, it, and you think about that, like he wants a domestic center, think about what he'd feel about iPads. Everybody's in their own room ignoring <laughs> each other, right? So like <laughs> How far we've fallen.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree with on that. Part. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there was another quote that was in the book that just l- cracked me up. There was a guy who his wife had gone to some event. He and a friend started drinking in the kitchen and he took the stove apart and got rid of it while she was gone because he so didn't like it. And he really liked the way his mother always cooked on a hearth. And again, I was like.
0: And then he got to sleep in the
1: storm. Yeah, I was like, what a jackass. <laughs> he is. Can you Imagine coming home and your, your, your stove gone? was yeah. gone. Yeah, I'd be a little. I'd be a little irritated. OK, so that's that's the advent of the stove. One interesting thing is you think about, OK, so stoves became kind of popular, like mid-1800s, up to up to basically World War II that, you know, everybody had a, a cast iron stove. Pioneer families typically did not. And we just watched that show. What was the what was the show? 18 like, 1884, actually. 1893. Whatever it was. Whatever that yeah. show
0: was, right? right. with Awesome with,
1: show. Harrison Ford was in it. Uh, Is he the dad or is he the one in 1923?
0: He's 1923.
1: I don't know. Anyways, this pioneer family, right? And they talk about there's all these pioneers going out west and people would bring all this stuff with them. First thing that got pitched was the cast iron (laughs) stove because they couldn't cross rivers. Like so they either didn't bring them at all or they just had to toss them along the way. Sure. Because they just couldn't. They they would founder and everybody would drown because they're trying to bring these cast iron stoves over. And so pioneer families went right back to a hearth, even though you know, like mid 1800s, it was pretty ubiquitous, and they had to save up for years to get another one. So look, it went it went back to a very basic kind of cooking. Let's see. So stoves. So here's some of the nice things about it. They were better cooking, better cooking height. They were harder to, but they were harder to manage. So in other words, <coughs> excuse me. In a hearth, you could see, sorry, you're going to have to stop it. No, fine. <coughs> I'm choking here. Let's, uh,
0: while we're, we're going to have to edit a little bit, why don't we f- bring the rest of the stove discussion <clears throat> and call that the end of that show. Okay. Right, so finish, finish the stove. Right.
1: Okay. So anyway, in a hearth, you could see what all the fires were doing. And he had a pretty good sense of it. In a stove, they were harder to manage. You couldn't see them. You had it you know, how hot it burned had a lot to do with how much fuel was in there, but also how much air it was getting. So if you shut it down too much, it would shut down. If you had too much going, it would be too hot. So it could get very smoky and very dirty and you had to clean them every week and blacken them every week, which was like a thing, right? You know, it was a pain in the butt.
0: When you say blackened, what's that mean?
1: I used, well, like you can buy stove black now, which is like a paint, essentially. Right. So it it basically protects it from rusting. Oh, okay. And it also keeps the dust down. So in in at this time in the beginning it was a mixture of like black pigments and wax. So essentially you had wax your stove every week. And then you had to burn a fire enough so that all that wax kind of burned off and stopped stinking before you could use the fire again. So it's like a thing. And every wow. week you had to do this, right? So it's a big deal. Or the stovepipe would get blocked up and it like, you know, smoke and make a mess. So I can understand why some men were like, oh, I really want to go back to a hearth like mommy used to do. But the women were not down for that. Interestingly, you know, we talk about a stove and we talk about a range. What's the difference between those two? Do you know the difference? In I this still, context? a stove in a range I don't. Well, in the beginning, ranges were built into the chimney. Only the front face of it, it was what you had access to. So you couldn't get around the back. It wasn't like a freestanding thing, like okay. a pot-bellied stove. is. Okay. like, you know, you can go all the way around the back. You'd only have the front access. You know, you'd have some cooking surfaces, but it would be just the very front edge of it. They were a lot more expensive. They were built in. They were permanent. Right. You didn't you didn't move your house and take your take your range with you.
0: So I'm curious now, just because you've been educating on the, on the entomology, any sense of where that comes from?
1: I have no idea. OK.
0: That'll be another show. Yeah,
1: that'll be another <laughs> show. But they made a lot less mess. And in that sense, were easy to take care of. So smoke didn't back up because they were built into the chimney. So they sure. were a little bit easier to, to handle, but they were more expensive. So they're really kind of high end. So like there's a picture on the front of this book and I think we'll put it, we'll put a picture on the on the website but you can see that is a range, right? Yep. Super fancy looking um, and built into the chimney. So it's not a freestanding thing. Sure, sure. That's the difference between a range and a stove. Sure. So one of the nice things about stoves however is that in the summer a lot of people move their stoves to an outbuilding. Okay. And because it was so hot right? Like in the summer, you didn't necessarily oh, want your oh. stove inside, so you made a lot of heat. So you'd actually take your stove and move it, which was arduous, I guess. And Mark Twain had a quote. He actually did an essay about it called Putting Up Stoves. And he wrote, the job is as severe and vexatious as humanly can posi- any uh, as humanity can possibly endure. Wow. Which I loved. a yes. stove. <laughs> yeah, every year. Okay. Right? Yeah, for two months it would live in an outbuilding. So it's super interesting. And I, that's all we're going to talk about stoves and we're going to wrap this up right now, but I just needed to tell, like the inventions of the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries are just amazing. When you think about, you know, some of the, some of the technologies they're bringing to bear. So like the rotary egg beater, which it invented in 1857.
0: I right, right, Slow out Cause we just are going to leave the freezer closed because we're gonna, we're done talking about stoves and we'll pick up some of these more inventions in our next show.
1: Oh, you're going to leave them hanging.
0: Exactly. All
1: right. Very it's a good. teaser yep so right. thank you for joining us and listening to my story i'm hoping you're enjoying the history of the kitchen
0: i all kidding aside i haven't read the book and i'm actually really intrigued and i'm learning a bunch yeah it's so really thank cool you stuff. my smart wife
1: <laughs> all right we'll pick it up next time thanks for joining us this has been another episode of renovation made right
0: thank you very much take care
1: Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.